Longhorn Nation, we're back. All right, welcome back to another episode of Fire the Cannon. I'm Rocky. And I'm Megan, and we are Fire the Cannon. All right, y'all, today we have got a super special guest. Y'all know him for his incredible Longhorn content on YouTube. It's our dude, Texas Homer, joining us today. So, man, we can't wait to hear your insights. Thank you so much for being here. It's my favorite podcast I listen to. Yeah, we appreciate you, man. We appreciate you. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have a lot to catch up on. Of course, you know, Texas, why don't you go ahead and tell us, like, how people can find you, where they can listen to you and and get, again, man, you bring the top-notch content. You always have great in-depth analysis. So shout it out. Tell, tell folks. how You can check me out on YouTube. Just Google Texas Homer or search Texas Homer and and there I'll be. Um, I have, I think I'm on my like 53rd video right now. So there's good content for you. I cover the actual team uh, strategy, stuff like that. I cover recruiting. I bring in some of the inside Texas guys and they'll do some reporting for me on things that I don't understand. So I like to give a varied experience to the fans and the whole part of college football. So you'll get strategy, you'll get personnel on the team and you'll get recruiting. So I like to go broad and make sure uh, that I get the content I want as a fan. How'd you get started? So my background's in film. I went, I went to Texas film school. And then after that, I made some bad commercials in Austin producing, um, did that for a little while and then kind of got real worlded um, and then uh, did some other jobs in digital marketing. And then I kind of realized the whole theme of everything I've done is communicating to an audience or marketing. And so eventually I was in a digital marketing job. And when you work for other clients, you're constantly doing their bidding or their creative uh, vision. And so I just needed something creatively as an outlet for me. And so I decided, hey, I'll make Sarkeesian just got hired and it was about to be the national championship. So I was like, I'll do a quick, I think it was like three or five minute video on Sarkeesian for fun, not expecting anything. And then, you know, people liked it. So I kept going with it. And now this is what I do full time. Yeah, it's been a, it's, I started it in January. So it's been a really awesome 11 months so far. Yeah, man, that's a crazy roller coaster ride to, to have, you know, starting with Sark and, and you've already launched mm-hmm. and, and got a great following. It, it really is awesome content. So Thank we're you. really excited to have you here. Yep. And like I said, y'all are my favorite. Oh, y'all are the one that I listen to. So. Like, I have a, I have another question. So you really know your stuff. What, what is your background in? I know you said um, marketing and media, but your actual sports knowledge and your football knowledge. What is it? How did you learn so much? Like, did you play? Oh, I really, yeah, I played very light. You're talking to a second string, a team left tackle, you know, nice. so you're talking to a very elite athlete right okay. now, but uh, no, that's what I did. I was left tackle. And I honestly, I didn't learn much in football from football. Um, I wasn't that engaged with it. It was just, I, I went to Denton Ryan, which is a big football school. So if you grow up in Denton, you kind of just play football. And so that's what I did, but I wasn't super in love with it as a player. Um, and so I've always watched it since I was in probably second grade, but as far as like really trying to understand scheme and advanced statistics and all that stuff, that's probably been about three or four years of like actually digging into it and so I was already doing that I tell people like I was the weird guy with excel spreadsheets after the game just writing down everything and you know 
people in my life, my parents don't watch sports. My girlfriend doesn't watch sports. No one watches sports around me. So I was literally just by myself on these Excel sheets. And so I was like, I might as well, I'm already doing this level of research just for myself. So I might as well turn it, narrativize it, turn it into a story and then put it out that way. But I was always weird about that. I was always kind of obsessive with the text longhorns and trying to trying to chart them and and see ahead what the game like so it. it was just kind of a national I'm natural just picturing conclusion. you like in a dark cave by yourself mm-hmm. watch it with yep. the tv just mm-hmm. typing away and, and I, I love that though man again absolutely your insights are, are fantastic um you know it's kind of like the money ball of football mm-hmm. right like you break down the stats you put everything together and you make it make sense schematically you make it make sense why they're making the decisions so i think that's really great insight and and again we're we're super excited and now let me go ahead and bring this roller coaster down a little bit because we do have some things to talk about, right? We we had yet another fourth quarter breakdown for Texas, you know, coming off. Rocky, you called it. You called it, girl. You you thought that uh, Texas was going to have a hard time going into Waco. You know, I was staying optimistic, hoping that Texas would pull it off by by a small number. But, um, you know, Rocky, your prediction definitely came true. Once again, Texas struggles um, in the fourth quarter. And uh, so, guys, let's just jump right into that. Homer, what are your thoughts on it? What what did you see in Waco? Um, you know, what do you think Texas needs to do? So well, Rocky was dead on because uh, when I was doing my stats on Baylor, I generally in my video, I won't tell you who's going to win or going to lose, but I can give you a pretty good hint. And uh, Baylor was the numbers were scary. And like, like they were the scariest numbers I had seen um, like, matching up with us. Right. It's always relative. But that was the part that made me nervous. And I knew that they were going to clock control us like Oklahoma state. We still didn't pass that test. And that offense in, is designed to wear you out in the fourth. And honestly, the late third is when the hands start going on hips for us. So, and I think Abraham Smith, their running back even directly said that they got tired out and those holes became wider. And so is that on the defense? I would say no, be, because we stall out so often in the second half. Um, so you hear Sark bring up complimentary football. Um, we're really good at getting kind of those empty calories in the first half, but when it's time to really make the clutch play, make the clutch drive, we don't seem to be able to do that yet. And so, you know, it's kind of that balance, but I think what it is is defense gets worn out because offense goes three and out. So offense isn't doing them any favors. And then in return, defense often doesn't do offense any favors. So that's why you kind of see the stall out. And like I said, these styles are designed to do that to you. And so Oklahoma State went exactly to plan. Gundy screamed from the rooftops how he's going to beat us. Baylor, exactly to plan. So none of these are surprises. When you look at the advanced analytics, they all tell you that this is how it's, the game's going to occur. And so that's kind of why we're seeing the meltdown. OU was a different thing. That was just weird emotion, you know, and that game's weird. But Always as far an emotional as, game. Yeah. yeah. But, but like Oklahoma State and Baylor, that's exactly how they wanted to beat us, and they were able to do so. So – that's the problem when I think in fourth quarter, it's both uh, offense and defense both have to perform, but at some point, every defense has a breaking point. Everyone has a conditioning limit. Um, so if they're playing a bulk of their snaps in the second, second half, they're going to get tired regardless. Georgia will get tired under that circumstance. So that's kind of where the complimentary side you keep hearing people bring up. That's actually kind of what we need to occur. Extend drives in the second half, get 12 plays, something like that. But the three and outs hit us and it's not that what are they supposed to do? They're going right back out there. And yeah, they are tired. Everyone would be, you know, so that's kind of the weird part. Luckily, Iowa State's 
not exactly that type of offense. So there's a little bit of a difference, but Baylor and Oklahoma state were just hyper similar to me. Yeah. Yeah. So you brought up a really good point. You know, you're saying we're kind of petering out in that fourth quarter D is getting tired because offense is going three and out something that I've noticed that I have really big concerns about that. I don't think enough people are talking about is conditioning. Why is this school? Why are players at Texas not conditioned to go those full four, four quarters, right? It, it seems to me that there has been a drop-off with that. Now, strength and conditioning has been a concern at UT for a little while now, right? We get these big dogs coming in, you know, we got Mad Dog, we had Yancey after that. We have these highly praised strength and conditioning coaches, but it's not working out right? We're seeing injuries, soft tissue injuries, especially. We saw a lot of that with the NC. We're seeing our guys just to your point, just running out of gas, man. It is the opposite of what our, our supposed slogan is, right? What, what is going on with that? Do you have some thoughts on our conditioning program? Uh, I liked Beckton's. Oh, you always hear the program before you see it. Right. But I liked the pitch. Um, and it was more about deceleration because if you need to accelerate property, you also need to be able to decelerate property property. So I liked a lot of those things. There's a lot of modern concepts. And really, Herman was about big boys. I mean, you saw Jake Smith looking like a linebacker. And so that's their thing was about big guys. And you did see more physicality on the lines because of that. So I knew that this was going to a more finesse, modern NFL style where you don't carry weight just because. Um, and so I, I was talking to one of the fellow YouTubers that I was like, I knew we were going to be a finesse team. I knew we weren't going to be a power team, but I also don't want to get bullied. You know, we're getting a little bullied now and that's where the issue is. So I agree. You need, you need to be quick. You need to be fast and you'd be able to stop. Um, that's an important part of the program. And I like that ad, but we might've gone a little bit too finesse and we might need to introduce some, a little more strength training there, but proofs in the pudding. I like what Becton says. I like his approach. We just have to see, you know, and it's a one, two year thing to see, but that's the hard part too, is that we're in Texas in the heat. So you should have kind of a conditioning advantage, really. You know, when you're playing some of those people, you should have been able, to, you should be able to last longer. Um, and so that's, what's kind of upsetting, but it is about ultimately the amount of reps in the second half. And so you could be super well-trained, but if you're playing like three quarters of a game and a half, you're going to have, you're going to have trouble there. But I like, I like what Beckton says, but like we said, we need to see it. And I need to see a little more um, power in the trench players. Like the transition to a lot more functional training. You know, I, I, I can appreciate that. My philosophy and when I train is functional movement. I worry that one, there's not a lot of depth. You know, we were praising this D line coming in and the, the it's just, the numbers are not supporting this a, a D line that's physical and stopping a run like numbers have dropped ridiculously on their you know attempts to stop a run and that's what we saw again against Baylor yeah like you were saying this the switch to the functional movement it's just I feel like we've sacrificed the strength there and you can build endurance with functional movement but you can also build endurance with strength and you know, it's, it's, it, they're, they're all like chicken and egg. Like which one's first, are they tired because they're out of shape or are they out of shape because they're not getting to rest and are, you know, there's a whole recovery issue. That's not, they don't get time to recover even mentally. They don't get time to recover mentally. If the team just went three and out, yes, they're physically tired when defense has to come back on, but also they didn't get a moment to be coached up or review, see what was just happening or get calls down of, you know, the, the offensive coaches or defensive coaches up in the box are looking at, 
you know, where we can we make these schematic changes? They don't have time for all that. So it, I think it's just a combination like the snowball effect of it's not just oh three and out now they're tired or didn't get to rest. It's they didn't get to get coached up and make adjustments in that time too. I think there's just there's just so many so many layers to what's wrong. And I think one of the things that, and this has just been my one keynote in my brain all week after watching the game live, and I did not watch a replay because I like my life too much. But the one thing I remember live was, okay, so they talked about, side note, they talked about Sarkeesian played the movie solo for them, right? About, uh, you know, that, that inspirational movie. And then I was like, maybe they should have played a movie called Teamwork. Because what I saw this week was a couple of people trying to be the hero. And I, I hate that this was the player that did it, but Dicker with the, whether it was called, not called the trying to run on a fourth down that was going to go nowhere when the punt was still there, it's still there. It's still there. I feel like to me, that was the switch in the game where just like, not that I blame him. It's just that moment where there's always one moment where you feel like it turned to me, that's just when it turned. And I just said, we're done. I don't, we're done. I'm going to cheer to the very end, but we're done. But I knew we were going to lose that game. And I told you why. <laughs> yeah, I was, I'm hyper aggressive too. I'm always the guy like, go for it on fourth down. Everyone's like, no, take the three. I'm like, no, go for it. I just almost too aggressive. But even that I was like, all right, well, that made no sense. And if it was a called play, you're wrong. And if it was a read on Dicker, it was the wrong read, you know? So whoever it was, it was incorrect. They know that they saw the result of the play. Everyone saw it. So I like the aggression, but if we're talking fourth and nine and, and we're running uh, punters that are not, um, that would be hard to run with Bajan. So that's where, that's where I was kind of like, all right, guys, this is um, not a good fake. If you're going to go for a fake, which I'm for do it at a more strategic time, but it seems like, Anytime we get sketchy, special teams thinks they need to make a play. So Xavier Worthy and OU, Dick are there. It seems like they do start trying to play hero ball. And you'll see that when the team's not functioning, we tell them someone needs to step up. Why is no one stepping up? There's no leaders on this team. And then they do, and it fails because they don't have a team around them to support the hero ball. But they are that that's going to happen. You're going to see that when you're 500. You're going to see kids try to make plays, and they're probably going to make a mistake on it. But it's kind of that fine line. But it seems to me that special teams decides like, hey, we're going to be the spark, you know, whenever it gets sketchy. And that hasn't worked out for us when we've tried that. Yeah, look, man, we are in lockstep with that. I agree wholeheartedly. I love the aggressiveness. I love the idea of a fake punt. We haven't seen a lot of that from Texas. And frankly, with where we're at as a team, I ain't against trick plays, right? But when we are at fourth and a good amount of yards and then get a penalty and make it fourth and even more yards and still have that same call that uh, I was trying to stay positive. I was like, man, again, I like that aggressiveness. I like, I don't hate the call itself. I hate when it was called. So I agree. I I really hope that's a learning experience, not just for the players. I hope the coaches kind of go, Ooh, yeah, bad call. Shouldn't have done that. You know? And, and, man, it hurt that, that hurt. Just like that fake punt we tried at TCU, you know, where bougie got just railed and it it was, it was a bad call at the time. It didn't make sense. So I I do have a little bit of concerns. Listen, I'm all in on Sark. I'm all in on the staff. We need time. I'm not going to be that Texas fan that freaks out and thinks everything, you know, chicken little, the sky is falling. 
we're not in that place. It's frustrating to be sure. You know, we, we expect a lot out of this Texas team and a lot out of this Texas staff. I will say I do have some concerns as far as clock management, as far as play call management, if, if that's the right way to do it. You know, Rocky, you brought up something a little earlier, kind of a chicken and the egg situation, right? There's a question of, of chicken and the egg. And I feel that way a little bit with the offense right now. I agree. We need to, we need to control the ball. We need to be on the field longer, but I noticed at Baylor, when we got into that hurry up offense, we were clicking, we were going, we were moving the ball and, and we, we, until a boneheaded play, we were doing things right. You know, until Joshua Moore had that, that tipped ball that turned into a, an interception, it was a good drive for us. And it was a late fourth quarter drive. Casey Thompson was in charge. He was, he was moving the team down the field, but it was a hurry up offense. So that, that feels that's a difficult position to be in as a coach, right? If we're scoring and we're moving the ball well with hurry up and we're keeping the defense confused, that's great. We get points out of it, but at the same time, our D gets out there a lot faster too. So do you have any ideas on how we could balance that quick scoring offense, keeping the D on, on their heels versus taking advantage of running backs and eating up clock? Well, Sarkeesian in his initial clinic, it was all about we're explosive and we want to score in three plays because his theory, and this is correct. The more plays you run, that's more. Most people think more plays is more opportunity to score. It's the opposite. It's more opportunity to mess up. So coaches don't like long drives if they can get away with it. So Sarkeesian will score on one play if he can, which is great. If you can score on one play, go for it. But you automatically are putting the defense uh, in trouble because our defense is a bend but don't break. So they're playing cover three. They're hopefully not going to let anything over their head by design. And what they're doing is they're making the offense dink and dunk their way up the field. So now they have to try to hit 12 plays, which makes it less likely for them. But if you constantly have an offense that's trying to score in one play and a defense is constantly trying to drag out plays on the other side of the ball, it seems to me like this isn't complimentary in philosophy. And so that's what I've always been confused about. And now I'm kind of saying it, but it's that's that always has confused me because those styles don't really work together. And so you'll see, too, that Lincoln Riley slowed down his offense to help his defense because he was doing the same thing. They were scoring too fast. So but the problem is you extend plays, more chance we get a hold, more chance we throw an interception, you know. So it's like it's this damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. So reality is we're going to have to stretch it more. There's really no other option. We see what happens when we don't. Because if you score in three plays or you go three and out, it's still the same amount of time. So it's that that's the issue is that you need to we need to spread out, but we don't have the offense that's super consistent in driving up a field. So that's where it's tricky. Ideally, with a, the answer is score as much as you can so it doesn't matter, you know, and they can't catch up. You know, because if you're scoring in three plays and they're averaging scoring in 12 plays, guess who's going to have more points by the end? So but the problem is we stall and we don't keep that pace up. So that style will work if you're an offensive juggernaut. But right now we are not an offensive juggernaut. And so that's why the complimentary football is a little bit confusing. The answer might be to try to extend drives, but we struggle to extend drives. So the coaches are kind of in a hard place there. And I want them to know that I'm aware of that. Yeah, again, I. I think that comes up a lot with the the fans. The frustration shows through, but but I agree with you wholeheartedly. It seems to be a really difficult place. We've got the playmakers, right? We keep saying that 
I understand there's some question and like maybe there was some talent that was not developed or not appropriately scouted. Uh, you know, we, we could argue both of those sides. I think we're definitely seeing Herb Hand's issue with recruiting showing through. And like you said earlier, this is going to take some time. That's just going to be some recruiting cycles and some snaps under this new staff's belt to really get our guys that we need um, and to get the guys to where they need to be. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree. We have to be patient and that's a hard thing to do. And it is a really difficult place for the coaches because again, on one hand, we're screaming, man, we got to score. We got to go. And, and we've got the talent, we've got the playmakers to do that, but we don't have the guys in the trenches necessarily to sustain. Right. So it is a balance. We Texas has never been short on talent as far as those big, you know, star playmakers where we've really, really struggled over the decade, the past decade is getting those big dogs, you know, getting the big fat boys in the, in the lines and down in the trenches and getting those guys that are consistently there and making the plays to open it up for the playmakers. And, and sorry, Texas fans, but we don't have those guys right now. And we're going to have to be really patient until we can develop the talent that we do have the young guys coming in and really recruit our asses off. I, I think Texas is going to really struggle in these, you know, the, the end of this season until we can get some of those big boys in Rocky, you're making faces, girl. What are your thoughts on that? I'm just really sad about this team right now. I'm disappointed. Um, I just, you know, and I, and I hate, hate, hate this analogy. Um, but I still see it every day. Would Tom Herman be four and four right now? I don't think so. I think he would be six and two, maybe even seven and one right now. Not that I'm calling for Tom Herman to come back. I absolutely believe in Sarkeesian and his staff in the future. And I would put us winning more games in the next few years with Sarkeesian than with Tom Herman. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying um, I, if, if I had to gauge where if Tom Herman had came back with the same staff, we, I don't, we would not be four and four that that's what's it. So it's this growing pain, struggle time. We're on the struggle bus right now. We're the laughing stock for many reasons right now. Um, but I'm still, I'm, I'm trying to find positivity and, and hopefulness. And I'm hoping that, you know, the, the guys seem to be saying the right things. They seem to be saying the right things are going back to work. You know, the struggle, you know, they got to get through the tough times and, you know, how hard can they hit that transfer portal? Not hard enough. They're not going to be able to hit it hard enough. Whatever they do, they need more. They need just so many experienced players who are ready to work now until they can develop these young kids they're bringing in. We cheated the, we cheat the rankings a little bit because if you look, our numbers are coming from our skill players. And so Nick Firmino's corner showed us they were actually recruiting trench players on par with Kentucky. So that's where we're, we're kind of at there. So when you see, you know, wow, they have so many force stars or five stars. We also don't have that many five stars compared to a good program, but that's what it is, is that we load up with skill players and safeties and stuff like that. So we do have high rankings, but if you look, we're not loading up in the trenches. And so that's how the rankings can kind of trick people. And if you actually look into it, it's, it's mostly skilled players that are getting us those rankings. Yeah. Agreed wholeheartedly. And, and Rocky, I, I love that you said hit the portal. I've said that for a while. I, I used Michigan state as an example, right? Michigan state won two, two games last year. Tucker hit the portal hard. He brought in 20 transfers, all of a sudden, they're running at 8-0. They're having a good season. I agree. With the way that college football is set up right now, 
take advantage of that portal, man. There is absolutely no reason Texas shouldn't be going after who, who is uh, Caden Lyles from Wisconsin, the offensive lineman that just hit the transfer portal. There's another big kid from Oregon that just hit the transfer portal. You know, we, there, there are opportunities there on both offense and defense, forget the star players. We can work with the talent we have my, in my opinion. And I think everybody that has a set of eyes and a basic understanding of college football, the transfer portal is what is going to save us quickly. That is the only way that we can get guys in. We can get those big boys in quickly and make an immediate impact. I, 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 you know, you, you brought up Rocky, you brought up Tom Herman. Would he be four and four? I agree. I hate the comparison. I do think, you know, if Ellinger was here with Herman, yeah, we'd be in a different position, but I think that's something else that people kind of glaze over. Sam did a lot. Sam always had to put this team on his shoulders and overcome some of the issues that we're seeing now. And I think this is, if anything, the 2021 season is a Sam Ellinger appreciation season because we're really seeing, you know, Hudson card, obviously, I think he he just wasn't ready for for the position. He wasn't ready for the spotlight. Casey, I still believe in. I think Casey has the tangibles. He got the football acumen. He's there, but this is where that, that lack of consistent experience with Casey, I think, is showing up in these harder times. I I, I still believe the team is behind Casey. No question. I'd like to see him be a little more vocal, right? But again, that's where your coaches need to step up. Now we brought up the Joshua Moore thing. Of course, this team is, you know, at four and four, things like that are a distraction. Of course, the media is going to pick up on it. All of a sudden it's this big to do about nothing. In my mind, players and coaches, they're heated. I'm not mad about teams being heated, right? I'm not mad about players playing with passion and emotion. I don't think it's the greatest thing that they're going after the coaches for it, but in the football world, is that really that crazy uncommon? Uh, To me, that that seemed like a non-issue that got blown up into something that's a a big issue and now a non-issue, you know? But again, that's because the team is four and four. When we win, nobody cares about this stuff. This kind of crap doesn't get reported. So, So with that, as we go on and we're looking ahead to ISU, do these distractions play into how we play this weekend in Ames? Do you think monkey gate? Do you think the Joshua Moore reports the way that the media is currently reporting on Texas? Is that a distraction for this team? Is it something that this team cannot overcome Homer? I'll, I'll throw. Luckily I get to talk to some of the players behind the scenes and that kind of stuff. And, and no, you know, they, to them, this is part of it. If you're at Texas and the Josh Moore thing is Josh had a bad game. So the fans were looking for something, you know, and so that was released. The reporter knew what they were doing and it gives the fans their chance to pile on Josh. So it wasn't just Josh. It was, you know, it was because of the game and everybody wanted to give him a, a lashing for that. Um, but as far as monkey gate, uh, it'd be funny if they were actively thinking about the monkeys during the game, but I highly doubt you know, it's probably embarrassing. It's more funny to my generation than it is embarrassing. I know the older generation are a little bit more like, whoa, you know, but to my generation, we were all cracking up. So that's kind of where I don't think it's a huge distraction there. But being 500, it's everything's going to come out because everyone's looking what's wrong, what's wrong, you know. And so 
you're going to see more of that. You're going to see more of our players go into the portal. You're going to see players come in from the portal. But when you're 500, this is just, it is what it is. And if you're Texas, you're going to get clicks, um, especially if it's roasting us. So everyone is financially incentivized to put out Texas stuff as well as one of the biggest brands. So these things are just going to happen. This is the business of being at Texas. Um, but personally, do I really think they feel distracted um, I don't. I think they're more frustrated. Like, what's going on? You know, uh, I asked Card, what is it? Why are we stalling in the second half? He's like, you know, if we knew, we would fix it. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's a bunch of things kind of hitting all at once. And so that's where I think they're kind of in the trenches right now and they are ducked down a little bit. But I don't, I think a majority of that is going over their heads. And they saw the Josh thing with their own eyes. So they know what happens. They don't need to read the reporting, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, again, Texas fans have been known to clutch their pearls and to chicken little over everything. That being said, look, Texas fans, calm the fuck down on Twitter. Seriously. We always say don't tweet at Crutes. It is getting to the point now that, man, don't tweet at anybody. Y'all are just tweeting through your feelings and getting mad about everything. Look, reporting is reporting. We get that. I do think it's important to get news from the team, but before everyone has these knee-jerk reactions and starts attacking players or talking shit, like calm down, take a beat, have a drink, go outside, breathe some fresh air and put the damn phone down, right? I mean, this is just, to me, it's embarrassing as a fan base to watch the reactions pile on and pile on. I love hearing that the team could not care less. They are focused. This is not a distraction to them. I will say at a certain point, though, when a fan base acts a certain way for an extended period of time, that mm -hmm. will affect recruiting. That will affect players. They do hear it. They hear this buzz. Can they blow it off? Yes. I'm glad they are focused enough to do so. But y'all, calm the F down. This is, this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? We all want Texas to be good. We all are frustrated with where we're at. But nobody is more frustrated than the players or the coaches. I promise you, they've got a lot more writing on it than we do. So take a beat, man. Just breathe it out. Don't tweet through it. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. All right. So you mentioned, you know, going to Iowa State this weekend. We are the night game. So after week after week after week of being 11 a.m. games and the one game that I think we really should, would have benefited at playing at 9 a.m., we are playing at 6.30 p.m. primetime. Ames, Iowa is going to be wild, right? Megan, you'll tell us about the environment, um, what it's like at a night game there. But they just came off a loss at West Virginia. It was a brawl too. But after that, they were on a roll. They had some big wins. But tell us first, we'll talk about the environment there and then we'll get into the numbers. Megan, what's it like at night in Iowa, in Ames, Iowa? Listen, spooky shit happens in Ames at night. It's just a thing that happens there. It's not a huge stadium. I think Jack Trice holds 61,000-ish, somewhere in that ballpark. But I'm telling you, especially since Matt Campbell's been there, Iowa State gets rowdy. Baylor, to me, you know, when they had that whole conversation and the misquote about, you know, top three, loudest, whatever, I, I disagree with that. Baylor has the potential. They get loud at times. But as a fan being in the stadium, I got to say Ames at night is hard to beat. Their fans are hyped up. They're living for football. Everyone loves to hate Texas. Again, Iowa State coming off that, that loss, having a, Iowa State hasn't lived up to their expectations for the season, much like Texas, right? Texas for Iowa State is going to be them taking 
checking that out. They hate Texas just like everyone else. This is going to be their hyped up Super Bowl. This is going to be their time to prove that their season isn't a fluke. Everyone's going to want to beat up on Texas to do that. So this is going to be a rowdy ass environment. It's going to be colder there. It's supposed to be a nice day uh, in Ames during the day, but the temps drop pretty quickly at night. And I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure at kickoff, we are looking something like 54 degrees, but by the end, by fourth quarter, we're in the forties. So it's going to be a different environment for Texas. They are conditioned for that. They get loud. That stadium is loud. If you've never been there, it's a lot of fun, Um, but it is an intense place and they, uh, there's a lot of bush light being drunk, right? There's a lot, it's, it's just, it's going to be a rowdy environment. So the team needs to show up ready. They need to show up prepped and hyped. And they really, really, really have got to push through Homer. Like you were saying, they've got to really learn how to extend these plays tune everything out because this is going to be a crazy environment. I think what's tricky too, is this is kind of a replay of Arkansas in the fact that it's a night game and that's the same defense that Arkansas runs. So that's what I'm interested for. This is another test we have not passed that we're going back to do, and it's later. So we got to see, is that game plan better? And the best way to quiet them is to score, you know, and they will be quiet if you get up. Remember, OU was quiet in the first half. Um, so score on them. That's how you get them to be quiet. Otherwise, they are going to have a total advantage. And it's not just sound. It's fi- You're physically being vibrated by the noise. So people think it's just like a mental thing. No, you're being shaken. And so that it's a problem. It's vibrating you. And so that's where, uh, too, it's not just this mental thing. You actually want to quiet the decibels because they can actually affect your body when you're performing. So that's what's kind of spooky for me here. I've never been to Ames. Um, I know that they kind of sit close up on you, which is good. And that's how they're able to make a small cap stadium feel a little more scary. So it's the same test. And that's kind of where I'm keying in and you know, environment wise, can we, can we handle it? And can we score early, quiet the crowd and then keep doing that? Do not let them back in the game because they have an advantage if they come back in the game crowd wise. My, my concern for this game, like actually the numbers is their run game. So in big 12 play, they average, you know, they're getting over 200 yards a game. The only one that they didn't get over 200 yards was Oklahoma state, but they still won that because they threw for over 300, which is, Shocking that they know they can switch to that when they need to against Oklahoma State, who has good DBs. So that's what my concern is that if we have not been stopping the run, they will run the ball on Texas. They will control the clock. Like you said earlier, it's going to be a repeat. I just, they're right now, they're touchdown favorites at home. I think that's generous to Texas to only give Iowa State a touchdown right now. This is not feeling good for Texas because of the, where, where's the fight? And even if they're competitive or may, I just don't know where the adjustments are going to come. And or do we even have any wide receivers by Saturday night? I don't know. <laughs> that's going to be the at. trick because we have Worthy who can get bracketed. And people don't understand Worthy doesn't have to be covered. Worthy just has to have two people by him and a quarterback's taught to not throw that. So it's not like you have to cover worthy. You just have to get people in his vicinity. So the quarterback goes, that's a bad read. So that's, that's the issue. And so our number two was going to be Jordan. He's gone. He's actually our highest ranked graded receiver at number five in the big 12 and Worthy's number eight. Joshua Moore right now is the last ranked wide receiver in the big 12. So we don't have anything after worthy right now, statistically. Um, I can't know what's in someone's heart, but I can know what their production is. And so that's where, 
that we're in trouble because they have good DBs. Um, they know what they're doing. It's a drop eight scheme. So you increase interceptions because now there's eight people in coverage versus seven. So you shut down the block box versus Bajan, which everyone's doing successfully. That means the quarterback has to be able to win the game with their arm. We haven't been able to do that either. So teams are daring us. They're saying Bajan's great, but one versus eight, good luck. And so your quarterback's going to have to make hard throws, like hard velocity, difficult throws over the middle to beat us or outside, which is incredibly low completion um, for any quarterback. So basically they shut us down. People think they're just shutting down Bajan. No, they're daring us to pass by doing that. And so that's the tricky part where I worry at matchup wise, because they definitely have the running advantage versus our rushing defense. And it looks to be that their defensive backs have the advantage against our passing game. So where's the route in which Texas gets a win? That's all I'm looking for is where's the path to winning. And this one's a lot more muddy. And so that's what I'm a little bit nervous about. You're going to, the game plans out on us. Oklahoma state did it and Baylor perfected it. So Heacock watched that everybody did. And so you're going to get the same thing, but John's truly the only threat and you have worthy if they don't bracket him. So I don't care if they're two great players, you can defend against two great players. Um, it's when you have five great players that it becomes impossible to defend. And so that's what I'm nervous about. Um, we don't match up well there and their defense is kind of designed to be a bit chaotic, to confuse quarterbacks, to make it harder to pass. Um, a lot of stuff that people comment on with card in Arkansas, you know, holding the ball or, um, you know, looking antsy. Those are all those things that happen against drop eight. You're going to hold the ball longer because there's more people in coverage and you're going to get antsy because there's less reads to hit. So we'll see that again. And that's what that defense is designed to do. And um, Sarkeesian needs to have a good game plan because last year against Arkansas, that was his toughest game. This year versus Arkansas, he got beat bad. And it was not a, not a great game plan against their defense. And so it's going to happen again in Iowa State. So, you know, Sark, can we beat this defense? Because this is the one defense that you've clearly had trouble with over the past two years. So that's it's not so much the players. The, we know what the players can do. It's up to the coaches to game plan effectively and put the players in their best situations in my opinion. I agree. I, I think that's something, again, that, that we've had a lot of concerns about is the inability to adjust at halftime. The inability, we, you know, we're, we're more than halfway through the season. We know who our players are at this point. We know what they're capable of. We know how they play through the game. It is on the coaches at this point to work with those players. And like you said, exactly that, put them in the best position to win. Something that I still do not understand. I feel like a broken record. I know we all feel this way. Why are we only running one running back? Again, Homer, to your point, you're saying we need to draw out this game, right? Best way to do that, run the ball, eat up the clock, no question. And exactly like you said, teams have figured out Bijan. We don't have a world-beating O-line to give him everywhere to go. It is incredible that he's got the numbers he's got. And that just speaks to what an athlete he is. But the secret's out. You crash it. You put everybody up against Bijan. We don't have anybody else in the, the backfield. You've effectively shut down the run. And again, to your point, you're then forcing Casey to make those decisions, make those reads, make those hard throws, especially when we don't, we have one go-to receiver. You're right. Two guys, easy to beat. I do not understand why this, you know, Sark even said, oh, we've got to get, you know, we've got to get um, uh, Keelan in more. 
right? We've got to get, we've got to see both Robinsons back there. We saw it for what? One down, one set of downs. And it worked. It freaking worked, man. And then it disappeared. Then it went away. And I don't understand the ration, why that choice was made. We have looked time and time again, when there are more than one running back in the Texas backfield, Texas does well. We average more yards. We make bigger plays. We take up more clock and we score more. It makes absolutely no sense to me why we, it seems like the coaches have certainly identified that we do well with more than just Bijan back there, but they won't commit to it. I, I, I don't get that line of thinking. I, I have no idea what that could be. Homer, what are your thoughts? Why aren't we running more than one run? I agree. I don't know. Um, the, the reality is we don't have a lot of weapons, right? And you don't need to send your weapons out like to make the catch. You just need the defense to account for them, right? So if you have Worthy who's very fast, well, they're going to bracket Worthy. Great. Well, now let's, let's move Keelan out in the slot because now they can't bracket. They don't have the guys to bracket him. So now they have to make a decision. Do we bracket Keelan? Do we bracket Worthy? Okay, cool. Well, whoever's not getting bracketed, you're getting the ball. And so there's things you can do by just having someone on the field that makes the difference. And so that's what I've been frustrated is we don't have we don't put max weapons on the field. We have very few weapons and we need to use them, you know, and so that's where it's been frustrating. And I get it. Like if you put Bajan and Keelan, right? Well, generally, when you have two backs, one back is going to block for the other one. Keelan's not blocking for Rajan or uh, for Bajan and Bajan's not a great blocker. That's probably his biggest weakness in his game. So I get that you don't really get the value out of it because one's supposed to lead block. You can get Rashawn in. He's good for that. But more, I want to see him in the past game because we lost Whittington and that was our best receiver stat wise. So I honestly, I don't care if you run Keelan. I just want you to put him in the slot. I want to make the defense respect his speed. Um, and like you said, they've identified it. They've came out on their own, you know, right after a game, like we need to get Keelan in the game. But there's something that goes on with coaches in game flow. It's really hard to keep track of some of those things. We've seen it for a decade, you know, so it's just at some point you need like, you know, whoever's standing to your left, you know, to be like, hey, it's this is a Keelan drive because the coaches are hyper fixed. They were getting beat. So like when you're getting beat, you're not thinking of the cherry on top stuff. You're literally trying to survive. So we don't get a lot of the fancy stuff because we're 500. But they do need somebody in there to just be like, hey, man, give Keelan a drive. Rob Babers had an interesting tweet. He like he's the stat guy, right? He knows the numbers. And he said that if the Horns want to attack Iowa State, they need to do it deep and they need to do it early and often. He said that Iowa State has given up 50%, 56% of their pass attempts of 20 or more yards. And Texas in the last few games, now that they've gotten a little better with the connections, 46% completion of the deep ball. So there's the opportunity there statistically. But like you just said, if if there's nothing else to distract or, or deflect or pull from that right now, it's just worthy. And Joshua Moore's there, but inconsistent. We want to see more Marcus Washington. And it's it, every moment. It's like just there, just there. And it's going to come. I, I hope it comes from Marcus Washington, but there's a lot of just a step or a flag away from something big. And maybe that's this weekend. You need that big physical body like Mar Marcus Washington this weekend against an Iowa state. So yeah, the, the, the opportunities there for the deep throw. I hope we see it. I hope, um, like he says, early and often that'll shut them up a big play like that. And they, we have these massive flash moments in the last few games of these connections that were, they were going to come, they were going to come on that big third down with Whittington a few games back that just changed it. And it, it was a switch that the deep balls are coming and they're here. And then, so we, we need those, we need those this weekend 
but again, that then you're back with that catch 22 of you're scoring too quick. <laughs> so what do you do? Right. But take the points. Always take the points. <laughs> let's, let's go there. Let's go there. All right, y'all. So let's go ahead and, and wrap up ISU. I, I, you know, I think we all have a similar feeling about this, but um, let's, let's do this this way. Give us two keys to the game and what you think the score is going to be. Homer, you start us off. The key to the offense every single week is they need to execute on first and second down. So you hear a lot of people say like, we're having problems on third down. You're almost never having problems on third down. You're having problems on first or second and it compounds. So if you're seeing third down issues, you're seeing the whole offense is wrong and it's, it's just bang, bang. It's just, you know, smashing up against each other. So it's always got to be on schedule. Casey can win these games for us on schedule. If they do not know that it's a passing down, it's standard. You know, we can give Casey one read. The O-line doesn't have to face a super hard pass rush. That's where Casey really shines on the quick one reads, dink and duck, take off for a scramble when you need it, keep it moving forward. As soon as we get behind the chains, uh, it's a lot of trouble. So key number one is going to always be to be on scale to stay on schedule. And defensively, like I said, it's going to have to, we do really good in the first half. We get like, that's when we get our interceptions and our fumbles and, and all that kind of stuff. So when the energy's there, we're pretty effective. Um, and like I said, so the, really the second key is, is also the offense has to stay on schedule for the defense. So we need to see complimentary football or you'll see the same effect again. And really the run game just has to improve and has to improve specifically at the safety level. So um, whenever they're coming down into run support, we can't whiff and we're whiffing with our boundary safety. We whiff with our free safety. It doesn't matter which safety it is. We're just really struggling to fit the run uh, effectively late in games. So offense stay on schedule secondary needs to fit the run better on defense and this score honestly was weird about Iowa state. When I look at the numbers, this is, um, I was more scared of Baylor and Oklahoma state. Now I'm not going to say we're going to win. I don't think that's the case either, but offensively wasn't as scary. So I I'd say you might be able to get up higher with that deep ball. So let's say it's 35, 28 Iowa state right now. All right. All right. Rocky, what are your thoughts? Okay. My keys to the game. One is because of the crowd noise and because we've been killing ourselves, installing our own drives, I would like no stupid penalties on offense, like the false starts or the things the delays of game, the things that just, they're not keyed in and paying attention. So I'm hoping the coaching staff has them prepared to manage the noise with other ways of communicating that will keep a drive alive and not be our own drive killers on the road. Um, That to me is important. That's what I want to see. Not so much a key to win the game, but just something that shows me that they're prepared and focused for this game. I want to, I want to see that on defense, stop the run in the fourth quarter. You can stop it a little bit in the first and second, sometimes even a little bit of the third, but I need the fourth quarter to not be when they're running back, just put their last hundred yards up. I just stop the run in the fourth quarter, make the adjustments. Those to me are my two keys of the game. I don't have yet strong belief that either will happen. So (laughs) I see Iowa state winning big. If I were, I would never bet against my own team, but seven, six and a half ish seems like free money to me. I hope I'm wrong, but I see this more of a 38, maybe even 41 Iowa state to a 2024 Texas. I have it a 10 to 12 point win for Iowa state. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Wait, well, I do too, but you know, looking at all this 
stuff. I've got to say keys, the game that haven't already been mentioned. I said it earlier. I'm going to hammer home, get the running backs more involved. You've got to have two guys back there to help out with the passing game, to, to spread it out, to get some of that pressure off of Bijan and consequently get some pressure off of Casey. I agree. Casey is capable of making those throws. Worthy is capable of making some great catches, giving our, our, you know, Marcus Washington great at blocking. I, I agree, Rocky. I think he's right there, but the key to getting our wide receivers open and available and getting, getting them the ball is going to get more running backs involved. We just have to open the field up more. So I think that's really important. The other thing that I think is going to be, we, we can't overlook our special teams has to win the field advantage. We have to start with a short field. We have to give our offense a short field because we've seen, again, first half, I'm not worried about, but that second half, we are just stalling out time and time again. And we cannot give ISU a short field for our defense. Our defense is going to be tired. Our defense is going to be against, they're going to try to score on us early and often, right? So the more Texas can win that field advantage, I mean, I think it puts us in a better position. Super simple. You know, it, it seems like fundamentals shouldn't be a hard thing to say, but it's not something Texas has done really well in the second half of games. So those two things, guys, unfortunately, you know, I like to be the one that goes against the grain, but I think Texas struggles in Ames. Um, Rocky, I'm, I'm there with you. I think this is a seven to 10 point loss for Texas. Uh, again, hope I'm wrong. I hope the team comes out pissed off and I hope they sustain that energy the whole time and they shut down the, the ISU fans at Jack Trice stadium. I hope it is a silent stadium the whole time. Um, I'm just not confident that we are conditioned to sustain that energy into the second half again. So I'm going to say it's Texas 35 ISU 42. Um, I think we do see some scoring, but I think Texas Peter's out again in the second half. Hopefully we're all wrong y'all. I mean, this is probably one of the sadder <laughs> predictions we've had, but you know, this is what the can first you do? Time what can you all pick Texas to lose a game? Even I'll, even the OU game, we're like, Texas has got this. But one of us, you know, is all in. But wow, that's kind of sad. We, we were young and dumb then. We were young and dumb back in early October. <laughs> well, we just <laughs> so more, full of hope. <laughs> we're just going off a lot more information now. Absolutely, and the, the data information point. is a little bit sad. <laughs> <laughs> our, 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 but sad we got our horns up and we're hoping we're all wrong. Listen, yes. I'm making Absolutely. that 14 hour drive up there. It could be a very painful 14 hour drive back. I hope it's not. I hope you're partying all the way back playing eyes of Texas out your truck. <laughs> Me too. Obnoxious, just flags flying everywhere. I, I do too. Yeah. All, all right. right. y'all. So another way to show your Texas pride right, is with Gridiron Metal. We are really proud to be sponsored by Gridiron Metal, and we hope you have gone online to gridironmetal.com and found products that you enjoy for your tailgates as gifts. They have smoker chimneys, grills, grates, all Longhorn branded with the official logo and the right orange color, the right burnt orange. They're laser cut metal, beautiful items to give as gifts or for your own tailgating supplies. They even have neat things for your desks or office, for your home office. This, a lot of you are working from home. You can spark it up with some Texas orange. They also have AM, Texas Tech, other schools. So if you are a fan or alumni or your friends and family are from other schools too, use the code CANNON12, C A N N O N 12. You get 15% off and you get free shipping when you spend 100 bucks. And there's so much cool stuff, you'll easily spend 100 bucks. So you get your 15% off. And don't forget, y'all, there are literally seven Saturdays until Christmas. You know, get shopping early, get the shipping. Shipping done, get that 15% off. Again, that's Canon, C-A-N-N-O-N, 12 
save yourself 15% and maybe bring yourself a little bit of joy through burn orange. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit of college football overall. Uh, you guys know, I'd be remiss if I didn't do a little bit of bragging on my Michigan state Sparties. uh, you know, coming in and beating U of M. That was a great game. I will say that was fun leaving Waco in the sense that in the sea of humanity, as you are trying to get out of that stadium, uh, you know, I'm streaming it on Hulu. My dad's texting me, keeping me updated as things aren't going through. And I think I confused a lot of people because I'm in my burn orange. I've got my horns on. I'm dressed up and I'm screaming, excited, jumping up and down. And Baylor fans are looking at me like, what the hell? What the hell? Well, you know, my Sparty came through. We have a legit Heisman you know, a forerunner or front runner in, uh, in Walker. So you got to love it when the balloon maze goes down. So go Sparty. Eight no first time. Very long time. So Rocky, why don't you take us around the country? Well, I just want to say first, last week when we made our picks, we decided Michigan State would win that game because Harbaugh is still the coach of Michigan and because Michigan State was on a roll with excitement. And I would like to say I got all my picks right last week. So anyway, here's a pick we can make. Humble brag, girl. (laughs) I mean, just listen to me and don't put actual real dollars on it, but I've been mostly right this season. Listen, so the only ranked matchup this weekend is 13 Auburn at 14 AM. So last week, a huge top 10 matchup with Michigan State, right? This weekend, the only uh, ranked matchup is 13 Auburn at 14 AM. Aggies are four and a half point favorites. Any thoughts on this matchup? Who who you got? Who you like? Look, I'm I'm gonna pick AM until AM proves me otherwise. They're having a hell of a season. Um, and they're playing at home. If this were at Auburn, I'd say I'd probably pick the other way. But AM. Look, Kyle Field is a tough place to play, especially after the construction. It's a huge place. They are loud. The Aggies are excited. They haven't had a lot to be excited about in football for a very long time, and their fans always show up. So on that alone, yeah, I, I think AM wins this game, and I think they beat the spread. I don't see four and a half. I, don't, I think this game pulls away at the end. I think Aggies take it by a touchdown or more. I haven't looked at any stats, so I can't tell you analysis-wise, but I've watched a couple AM games games i haven't seen any i can't really tell you but uh i like the calzada story um they they were savaging him early in the season just saying mean stuff that had nothing to do with football and for him to have the mental and normally i'm not a like oh the mindset guy but he that was i like that story that kid came back and beat alabama so uh, a&m's playing well got to give it to him the defense is playing well and they have a quarterback they weren't expecting so Things are going well for him. So based on absolutely nothing, I, I would pick AM. I agree. A combo of the two. Home atmosphere, a team that's on a roll. Yeah. And they can run the ball and they have solid defense. I think they win at home and I agree they cover. All right. So I know Texas Homer, you are not the biggest NFL fan, but do you have an NFL team? Yeah. Culturally, I'm a Cowboys fan just by nice. growing up in North Texas. So yeah, that was a, uh, I don't watch a ton of NFL. Uh, I'm actually going to get into the NFL and do some analysis there next year. But um, as far as watching, it, it's just the Cowboys. Um, and then I'll watch, you know, Monday night or something if it's on. Right. So the Cowboys, massive hot streak, big win Sunday night football with Cooper Rush, right? Who, because Dak is, you know, is resting his multiple injuries, the things he has to recover from. So they bring in Cooper Rush. He drops over 300 yards. Everybody steps up big. Even the defense steps up big. And there were a few moments where I thought some questionable calls against, you know, a late hit that wasn't a late hit against Dallas, against Gregory, like things like that. That you're like, oh no, are they going to fall apart? Are the refs going to give this game away? 
And the Cowboys pulled it off. It was exciting. They're, they're on a roll. They're now the number one team in the NFC. And I mean, people are picking them for the Super Bowl. The Cowboys? What? Look, I, okay. Dallas fans, I'm excited for you. I am. I, you can't help but love Dak. Cowboys aren't my team. I grew up a Cowboys fan, grew up Cowboys, Oilers, and Lions. Jarrah got to be a bit much for me. So I backed off on the Cowboys, but you got to love Dak Prescott. So I will support them in that sense. I'm really glad they made the decision to sit him and let him rest. I think that is something the Cowboys teams of the past, we would not have done. Uh, I say we, I'm used to saying that, that Cowboys wouldn't have done. Um, so I think that's really good that we're seeing that uh, incredible performance by Rush. Didn't see it coming. I wouldn't have called it. But I think something that's really cool with the Cowboys right now is they are coming together as a team in a way that we haven't seen from the Cowboys in a while. So great win for them, for sure. Uh, definitely excited for my Cowboys fans. I don't know that I'm ready to crown them the Super Bowl champs yet, but they are peaking at the right time. They are building up their season. It's certainly trending in the right way. So congrats to y'all. I don't know anything about good NFL teams right now. So I'm just, uh, uh, my teams are factories of sadness. So congrats to the Cowboys fans. You know, everybody does it for the Cowboys. I like the Cowboys a lot, but my number one team is the Titans. We were, we were, I will say, I'll say we were on a roll, right? We just won five games over teams that were in the playoffs last year. We're six and two massive dog fight with the bill. I mean, the Colts on Sunday and then won that game and everything was going great. We we're about to take on the Rams, one of the top teams in the NFL, of course, horrible things, Derek Henry foot surgery out indefinitely. So hopefully he's back in time for the Super Bowl when we play the cow with the Cowboys. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to be in the Super Bowl now, but <laughs> so all our hopes and dreams are shot because Tannehill's our quarterback and he's, he's serviceable, but there's no game without Derrick Henry. He is most of our offense. And of course, Tannehill, who has like some of the worst pocket presence in the NFL, we have to go to the Rams who have Sam Darnold and guess who they acquired this week in the trade deadline before the trade deadline. Vaughn Miller. So Tannehill, I'm putting the over-under on sacks for loss of 10 or more yards at 12. So we will, it will be ugly. <laughs> It'll fair. be Sunday night football for the world to see. My poor Titans. We were just on a roll, but it happens like that, right? Uh, but we did sign sometimes uh, football Adrian be that Peterson way. And Deontay Foreman as uh running back, a little bit of a running back by committee, maybe, but it won't make up for Derrick Henry. He was blown away in yards. All right. One last thought in the world of sports. Aaron Rodgers was quote unquote air quotes immunized. <laughs> He's self-immunized himself with some kind of treatments, which didn't even prove on the testing to be a, a sufficient number of action from, you know, they got this committee together, the NFL of doctors and professionals to determine if his level of quote unquote immunization was sufficient and it was not compared to having actually had COVID antibodies or the vaccine. So because of his own beliefs about the vaccine, his team now does not have him even on facilities for 10 days. He doesn't play in the Chiefs game. And thoughts? <laughs> it was slick. I loved that response. Just, yeah, I'm immunized. He thought he was going to get that by. That's what I thought was funny, just how he tried to Try to phrase it. The media caught it immediately. Yeah, I I don't know. My thoughts on it. I think he's selfish. Look, I, I'm a bel big believer in getting vaccinated. If you don't, fine. I'll respect that. That's your your that's your right. That's your choice. Fine. 
but don't lie about it, man. You're putting other people at risk. You're lying about it. You don't want to follow NFL protocol. And then you're smug about it. Fuck off. I I, I don't know. The more I see of Aaron Rodgers or, or nobody's going to deny what an incredible player he is. But the more I learn about him as a person, not a fan. I just think it was shady. I don't think you should lie. I think there should be some sort of you know punishment for it other than sitting out because it's a health risk. There should be something for straight up lying because what's to keep other people. Did he tell the Packers Packers straight up? I got the shot and just straight up lied to him. I have no idea. I'm going to literally ask. Well, some of the reports are that he had a doctor giving him, giving him like immunization treatments, which was the phrasing they were using. And they were helping build his immunization a different way without a vaccine. So I think the presentation, and I need to clarify this if the story's changed again since I last read it this morning, but the story was he was trying to present himself as immunized with these therapies, but it wasn't sufficient. You have to have like a hundred something, something per milliliter show up of antibodies in your chat testing and it's a blood draw test. And somehow his numbers were nowhere near to show sufficient immunization, which would be vaccine or actual COVID virus antigens in your body or antibodies in your body. So everything about it was just not passing the test of physical actual science. And it was a misrepresentation at the minimum. That's fine. If you want to try alternative treatments, fine. Wear a fucking mask. That's NFL protocol. That's my issue is he's trying to skirt the system and then also not following the protocol. It's pretty clear. You're either vaccinated and you don't have to wear masks or you're not vaccinated and you do have to wear masks when you're on the sidelines or when you're in player interactions or when you're with the press, you know, just wear a mask, man. That's, that was my biggest issue, but he just doesn't seem like a, like a good dude all the way around. Mm. If you're a millionaire, billionaire, even in your own family won't hang out with you. There's a problem. <laughs> Cause usually no matter right. how much of a jerk you are, if you have a little money, some exactly. of your family hangs around. <laughs> <laughs> signs are pointing to maybe you're the asshole. <laughs> yeah, but I agree, Megan, like you said, every, they have their right to not get vaccinated, but that doesn't keep them from the consequences of that, which are very clearly explained and written in the NFL protocols for COVID. So right. wrapping it up. Thank you. Thank you. Wrapping thank you, up. Texas Homer, for joining us. Your insights are insane. I'm looking forward to your breakdown. You're going to post the pre-Iowa State soon for yep. us. Tell us that, yes, tell everybody again man. how to find you, where to find you, what you're up to. Yeah, go on to YouTube and you can look, uh, type in Texas Homer. You'll see you'll see my channel. Click on that. You can see all the videos. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Texas Homer. And then um, there's some membership stuff, some Patreon stuff <clears throat> if you want to donate and uh, get some content. So there's there's a couple ways, uh, but you can find me on YouTube. That's where I live. <laughs> nice. I love it. Once again, I'm, I imagine you in your little YouTube cave tapping away at your stats and that's, getting everything that is, down and, and ready for is, ready for the content. <laughs> that's highly, highly I'm accurate. Not, I'm yeah. loving it, man. Well, well, Texas Homer, man, thank you again for joining us. You're kind of incredible. We are so excited. You really gave us a lot to look at, a lot to think about. Again, y'all look him up on YouTube. Just search for the Texas Homer. He's got, he, he keeps you up to date, gives you everything you're going to need to know as a fan, gives you some great in-depth analysis. So dude, we appreciate you. And as always, I'm Megan. I'm Rocky. And I'm Texas Homer. And this is Fire the Cannon.